Uh, this is kind of embarrassing uh, because my sermon is on painting. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, again, my name is Ben Allen. My wife and three sons and I, we go to uh, Vineyard Church of Delaware County in Lewis Center. And uh, we lead a, a home group and a worship team there. We're actually supposed to be leading worship this morning, but we skipped. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wouldn't it be awesome? They're just like looking around like, I guess somebody sing. Uh, no, we're, uh, this is an off week. We're just super happy to be here. We love when we can come down and visit with you guys. We go, we go way back with you. Um, as Adam said, we, we went to youth group in this building like 30 years ago. I think I got in trouble with that pastor probably once or twice 30 years ago. Uh, pastor Scott's here. Good morning. Uh, and Linda, good morning. Uh, and so uh, this, is a, this, this is part of my heritage. I'm super happy to be here. I'm grateful to Adam uh, for having me. Thanks, Pastor Adam. Thanks for helping me fulfill my dream to be in a boy band. Is the mic. If, uh, if, if it's Facebook, if you see me on Facebook Live, I'm young and handsome. Uh, it's just the camera that's adding the weight and the years and the slowness. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, just, uh, I'm super honored to be here. I really am. Uh, so I want to thank you guys. Thanks for letting me be vulnerable and just share what I think the Lord has for us this morning. Uh, and was it the sixth birthday that Family Church had? Congrats on six. That's awesome. My, how you've grown. Uh, Daniel was right. There's a lot of people out here. So that's awesome. That's super cool. So uh, knowing that I'd be speaking here this morning, uh, I've been following the Identity Crisis Sermon along with you guys. So I've listened to the sermons. I've listened to Pastor Adam as he shared about those common fears that we all struggle with. Uh, along a book series by Chris Mc, uh, McAllister, McAllister. Uh, and how when we hang on to those fears, meaning we don't surrender those fears to Christ and His Holy Spirit change us, we seem to operate in an identity outside of Christ. And if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, and I don't mean for years and years, I mean like for a week, then you know that Jesus is your identity, that your identity is in Christ. And and. Even for a week, you've probably learned that having your identity in Christ is the only way to not be dominated by these fears, uh, by all these fears that we've been covering. And so the fears we've covered so far, what have we covered? I'm going to read them off here. The fear of not being needed, the fear of not belonging, the fear of inadequacy, and the fear of poor performance. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I bet we'd all be raising them. Uh, and if you missed any of those sermons, I would encourage you to, to uh, go back and go to the church website, listen to the podcast. If you're a Facebooker, I think they're probably on, on the Facebook Live, uh, but I'm old and I don't know the, the technology. So what's up? Uh, and I've just been really particularly challenged by this series because I feel like there's not one particular feel that I, uh, fear rather that I struggle with, but kind of all of them. Not just the ones Adam's been discussing, but the ones he's not going to discuss the ones he's going to discuss, things that don't even make the list. Uh, I've got a lot. I've got a lot. I think we all do. So we're going to warm up. Everybody get ready. We're going to start with a little quiz. Make sure everybody's awake. All right? So here are some fears. Let's put them on the screen. All right. Let's see what these fears are. Starting with escalophobia. Anybody know what that one is? Who said 10 church points? Escalators. A fear of escalators. That's that person that's super afraid to, like, catch this step. Yeah, that's a pretty reasonable one sometimes. Uh, how about aquaphobia? Water, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. But it's got a, a, a sister fear, 
Pogophobia. Anybody know this one? Fear of what? Yeah, totally afraid of Pago. Pago's a tough-looking dude. He's not very sweet. He's all linked up. Uh, no, uh, pogophobia is a fear of ice and frost. So if you live in Ohio and you have pogophobia, get in your car, drive south. <laughs> You're in the wrong place if you have pogophobia. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is my new favorite. I just learned about this one. Cetophobia. 100 church points if you can get cetophobia. And you can claim those in the church gift shop. I'm just kidding. There is no church gift shop. And there aren't any church points, but it sounds cool, doesn't it? A hundred church points. Cetophobia. Anybody? Fear of whales. Dead serious. And we don't want to laugh at someone else's fear. I mean, it's a legitimate fear, but I was just thinking, does anybody really get tired on a Sunday afternoon, lay on the couch, and start watching golf? Where they're talking really quiet like this. He's approaching the 10th green, right? And you're kind of almost, almost out, right? And you hear the blimp hovering above. The birds are chirping. Imagine you have cetophobia. Commercial break, Pacific Life commercial, a whale breaches out of the water. Imagine how terrifying that would be. Have you seen those commercials? Oh, if you have cetophobia, I imagine golf is the worst, the worst thing to watch. All right, we got more. Trypanophobia, trypanophobia. Anybody? Needles, 50 church points. I think that's a, I think that's a reasonable fear. I really do. I don't like needles. I don't like injections. How about the last one? Arachnophobia. Spiders, yeah. And I have it, and if you don't have it, just watch the movie of the same name. And then you can get it too. I get chills when I think about that movie. So some of those fears, some of these fears that I listed might be considered irrational fears, but I would argue that all fears are both rational and irrational. Meaning, they're rational in regards to uh, the fact that, that maybe you've had a, a, a traumatic experience or really bad memory uh, and so you associate that with that fear. Uh, maybe you're just wired that way. Uh, so all fears are kind of are kind of rational. So I don't want to poke fun at any of those people that have those. And I have some of those. Uh, at the same time, all fears are kind of also irrational. Because if, if Christ is at the center of who we are, he's got it all. He's got everything under control. And there isn't anything that has happened or will happen or even can happen that he isn't in control of, that he isn't allowing to happen. So he's got this. And if we can remember that, if we can just remember whose we are, then we don't need to let fears dominate who we are. Amen? So for those of us who have accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, we're looking for him to be in control of our lives. If we could just remember that, no need for this sermon series. Sermon on painting. But unfortunately, there are lots of fears that we allow to shape our identity and shape it outside of Christ. So today I'm going to cover one that I think we can all very easily relate to, the fear of a bad outcome. So let me start with a story. Uh, we just got back, over a week ago I think now, from a vacation to Hilton Head. Uh, we went on a vacation with, uh, with my in-laws, our extended family. They're super generous and they treated us. They put us in this really awesome resort. Uh, has anybody been to Hilton Head? It's beautiful. You can like bicycle everywhere and it's just, it's gorgeous. And we stayed in a resort that was like, I don't know, a quarter mile from the beach, if that. I mean, you could walk there quickly. Uh, but I'm a little, I'm a little uh, embarrassed to say that I hardly ever went to the beach. I went one time. Uh, people are like, why? Well, here's why. Awesome pool at the resort. It was the most amazing pool. It had a, a lazy river. It had a hot tub. 
It had uh, a big swimming area, and then it had all those things that squirt kids. And I mean, it was like a water park. It was, it was awesome. And I was all about that pool. Uh, went to the beach one time, and I was like, this isn't as good as the pool. <laughs> and so we hung out at the pool. I think the kids and I were there at least for some part of, of every day of the week-long vacation. And we would play games in the water. We'd throw a ball. We would, uh, we'd make these crazy contraptions out of swim noodles and float along. I mean, there were pretty odd-looking things, but it was awesome. It was comfortable. Uh, and so we just couldn't have gotten enough of the pool. And there were a couple times when I was wrestling my sons, who can now dunk me. Uh, that's a new development. It's a little, a little hard as a dad. Your son can take you down in the water. But uh, I looked at them, and I remembered back to when they were little and terrified to jump in the water. And I'd be there standing in, and I'd have my arms up like this, and I'd say, I've got you. Jump. I've got this. Just jump. And they might be decked out with, like, floaties and life jacket and goggles. I mean, enough that even if I just walked away when they jumped in, they'd be fine. But they were terrified. They were terrified to jump in the water. And they were struggling with this fear, the fear we're going to discuss today, the fear of a bad outcome. And the truth is, we're always facing this fear. But because our identity is in Christ, again, our reality is in Christ, we can be secure. So today's sermon, I am secure. So let's invite God's presence into this talk, and then we'll just dig right in. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Let me just say first, I just ask that I wouldn't screw this up. I ask that I wouldn't say anything stupid or hurtful. I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you'd work through me, and if necessary, in spite of me. Lord, please speak to each person here. Lord, I pray that this would be a message that, uh, that stirs something in us. Holy Spirit, you know what each person needs, so I just invite your presence. I thank you for your presence in worship, and I ask for more of it. Lord, would you just bless the words that I say, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. That's a quick little, uh, quick little insight. I lead a worship team, and no matter how elaborate the prayer, I always end with, Lord, could I just not screw this up? Because uh, I think that's what the Lord wants, and we're going to cover that. We're going to cover how do we actually approach the Lord when we're worried about a bad outcome. But as I was preparing for this sermon, I felt like it was important to differentiate this fear, the fear of a bad outcome, from what Pastor Adam was preaching about last week, the, uh, the, the fear of poor performance, right? So I kind of lumped those together. Poor performance equals bad outcome a lot of the time. And so let me separate them. Uh, so Adam talked about the fear of poor performance. He talked about how Moses was sure that he was the wrong man for the job that God had given him. And God was sure that Moses was the right man. And Adam shared about how uh, we perform, but when we perform with the strength and the energy and the grace that God gives us, that brings glory to God. Right? Everybody remember last week? This nod, even if you didn't hear it. Oh, yeah. Okay. But the fear we're talking about today, the fear of a bad outcome, that's saying if I mess this up, the worst is going to happen. And you may remember Adam was sharing uh, Chris McAllister's uh, concepts of proving and hiding. So put differently, kind of overcompensating and withdrawing. And so if you struggle with the fear of a bad outcome, to overcompensate, one thing you might do is try and plan every detail, every variable. Uh, like you're trying to create stable ground where there is no stable ground. If I do that, both hands for me. I do that. Uh, and I heard recently somebody say, well, you can you can kind of write that off, or some people can write that off by saying, I'm a planner. 
And let me just say, Ben Allen, I am a planner. Uh, I, I've, I have like certificates at work in planning. So, I mean, I, I do planning. Uh, and even at home, if I'm building a deck, if I'm working on something complex, I have a clipboard, uh, which I will say solicits some friendly mockery from some people. One of those people may be the pastor of this church. Starts with P and ends with Aster Adam. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Adam. <laughs> Adam's mocked me before. He says, how's your clipboard, buddy? Uh, so I'm a planner. I'm a planner. I really am. But I feel like we need to, I need to, and I'm inviting all of us to examine areas of our life. Instead of just saying, well, I'm a planner, let's be careful that we're not actually kind of overcompensating. We're not executing a proving mechanism by overplanning and trying to control. So on the other side of things, if it's a hiding mechanism, kind of the withdrawing, uh, I can do that too. I have a tendency to take on too much. And then I get to a point, even though I do this a million times, I never learn, my to-do list outgrows the time I have to do stuff, and then I just withdraw. I'm just like, the heck with it. Which is weird, because it's a huge list, and but forget it. And in that space, I feel like I'm often being Eeyore. You know Eeyore, the donkey from Winnie the Pooh? I saved Family Church $10,000 by not putting a picture up on the screen there. But, but Eeyore's the stuffed donkey. He's a stuffed animal. He loses his tail. It gets ripped off. And Christopher Robin pins it back on. This is in a Winnie the Pooh story. And Christopher Robin says, hey, did I get it on right? And then Eeyore says, no matter. Most likely lose it again anyway. And if I'm honest, that's where I get to. I get overwhelmed. I, I get overcome by my fear of a bad outcome, and I just withdraw. I hide and I withdraw. And I think all of us struggle with this fear, the fear of a bad outcome. It doesn't matter if it's a big project at work. It could be a big exam at school. Uh, it could be how our children are going to turn out. It could be whether we're going to have enough money for retirement. Insert fear here. Whatever that fear is, the list is endless. And further, when we're dominated by that fear, the fear of a bad outcome, the response is almost always one of anxiety. Whether it's, whether it's proving or hiding, it's anxiety. And it's easy to let our fear of outcome kind of control our levels of worry, control our levels of anxiety, instead of just saying, God's got this. God's got the outcome. And so since God's got this, then I can respond by knowing that I'm secure. It's just like my boys who are once afraid to, to jump into my arms in the pool which I know I would catch them. I promise you. And if they, could, if they could just receive even a little bit of the security that I give them, of the assurance that I give them, the safety that I give them, they could have jumped in with abandon. But they, they had a hard time with it. I was saying, I've got this to my sons, just like God says, I've got this to us. So let's go to what might be the most famous passage of God's got this, in the Bible. Let's go to Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. I'll read it aloud, and then you can follow along on the screens. Again, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? 
Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to punchline three points for you right up front. No surprises. Then we're going to dissect them as we go through the text. First, I am secure because he's got this. He's got this. Two, I am secure because he gets this. He gets it. And three, I'm secure because he gives this. He gives us this security. So let's start with point number one. I'm secure because he's got this. So in this text, Jesus is teaching about our needs being met, no doubt about it. But I don't think he's teaching about our needs being met as much as he's teaching about our worrying about our needs being met. We're worrying about the outcome. And further, while it's important to know that Greek, which is the primary language of the New Testament, it has tons of words for good things, tons of words for love and affection and faithfulness. It's only got one word for anxiety and worry. That word is merimnao. And I had to play the dictionary thing to read it to me because there's, I don't know Greek. But I found it interesting. There's one word for anxiety and worry. And I think there's, someone told me, I think there's something profound in that. Because I think the Lord wants us to treat all anxiety and all worry one way and just give it to him, big or small. I tend to, I tend to agree. And it is true that Jesus is promising to give us everything we need as we seek the kingdom of God above all else in verse 33. But the main point that Jesus is driving is that we need not worry. We're secure because he's got this. And that's why Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. And can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Medically speaking, we know that uh, anxiety does shorten lifespan. I just want to read something to you. This is a, a recent study. It says, A recent study published in a leading medical journal, the BMJ in England, was performed where researchers pooled information on more than 68,000 adults over age 35 who took part in England's National Health Survey over a 10-year period. The study found that people frayed by even slight distress meaning they sometimes stayed awake at night worrying or had trouble concentrating on tasks, for example, were about 20% more likely to die over a 10-year period compared to people who reported no such symptoms. And that was true even after researchers adjusted their results to account for unhealthy behaviors that often accompany anxiety and depression, like smoking and excessive drinking. They also accounted for things like exercise, weight, and diabetes. So, so what it means is they removed every variable you can think of and just got straight down to worry. And the people that worried were 20% more likely to die over that 10-year period. So Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was being pretty practical. Right? You can't add a moment. In fact, you're probably taking away moments from your life. And that was just one study of many. There are lots of studies. And practically speaking, there are more studies that say that the things that we worry about, 85% uh, of the time or more, 85 is the low number, never happened anyway. So, the most convincing reason, though, besides the, all the medical uh, information there, the most convincing reason is because 
God's got it, and he promises it right there in verses 32 and 33. Uh, I'll just read it. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, and he will give you everything you need. Let me say it again. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, and he will give you everything you need. And remember, those words aren't just words. Those aren't, those aren't a, a quote that somebody whipped up or a, a neat little gift somebody gave you, a bumper sticker saying. I mean, these are the words of the Son of God, the author of creation, the word who is God and through whom everything was made. That's the promise. That's who that promise is coming from. So point number one, I'm secure because God has got this. He's got this. Point number two, I am secure because he gets this. This is the one that speaks the most to me. At no point does Jesus say the outcomes are not important. So let me illustrate this with an example. Has anyone had a little one, or maybe you've been that little one, and you have this irrational fear, maybe you're worried about a tornado on a sunny day. Right? My kids, when they were little, if it would sprinkle, they'd be like, oh, that's probably a tornado, right? No. No, probably not. Uh, and I remember saying, hey, don't worry. Don't worry. There's nothing to worry about. And I'm sure there's some behavioral psychologist with a group this large. Maybe you would disagree that it's horrible. You should never say that to a kid. Don't worry. There's nothing to worry about. But I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it when it's a tornado on a sunny day. Uh, I don't know who I'll get in trouble with there, but I'm sure that, the, you know, that everybody kind of looks at how we address fears in children differently. But I think that's a fine response. Don't worry. There's nothing to worry about. But let's bring this closer to home. You have a really important surgery coming up. Your kids have an important surgery. Your, your parents have an important surgery coming up. If I came up to you and said, don't worry, there's nothing to worry about, how would that feel? Kind of dismissive, right? Uh, I can bring this even closer to home. The last time I was here, I shared that I had a, a blood clot in my leg due to an injury, and I nearly died. And I was in the hospital. I remember urgently planning for my death, which I don't recommend. It's a, it's a difficult process. <laughs> but, but I was on the phone with an old business partner saying, you're the only guy who knows how to do what I do for my business. Would you take this over? Yes, I will. Uh, and, and actually planning to die, uh, which was a very difficult time for me, to say the least. And I don't think at that point I was worried about a bad outcome. I don't think that I was overly anxious. I think it was just a very touch-and-go time. I don't think the doctors thought I was overreacting. A lot of the doctors were like, I hope this goes okay, you know, when they would leave. Uh, and I think I've shared that a bunch of times with everybody. And I've used it in a bunch of different contexts. But one thing I don't share very often is that, and I'll just teach you a little bit about blood clots. I'm going to take some notes. Uh, what, they, what you don't really learn is if you have more blood clots, they'll put you on blood thinners. But blood thinners don't actually dissolve. Your body does that. So blood thinners just make sure you don't get more. They can also kind of loosen the area and actually send more clots because that's what's happening. And when they had scanned my leg, it was like one giant clot all the way down. Uh, and so when they sent me home, I got to wear medical bracelets. And, uh, but there was this time where they were kind to say, you're not out of the woods. So there was like a three or so month period. Three was like the 90 days was the big mark. It was three to six, but the 90-day mark was, okay, you're not going to now die at any time. But I walked out of the hospital being told that. Hey, just so you know, you've got a lot more. We've done everything we can do to control it. We don't think it makes sense to go in and operate based on where the, they couldn't pull it. 
based on what it was or where it was. That part I don't understand. Uh, but, I, but I went home worried, and I stayed worried, and I was anxious. And if you'd have come up to me and said, don't worry, there's nothing to worry about, we might not be friends. <laughs> I would have a really hard time with that. I would be offended. I wouldn't just feel like you were being dismissive. I would feel offended because I'd feel like you weren't even considering this situation. But Jesus, he does consider the situation. That's what he's doing. He picked very real needs and very real worries to drive this point home. And you might know in this text that Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where this is coming from. This is a sermon that Jesus gave to a lot of his followers on a mountainside. And some people misunderstand that it wasn't just his 12 disciples. They were his followers. So it wasn't a random crowd. There were people following Jesus. But from what we learned from the chapter before, in chapter 4, the crowds are made up of large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan. It's a big crowd. And so Jesus picked very real worries in the Sermon on the Mount because these words would have spoken to everybody in the crowd. And I don't think he was being flowery and poetic. Right? I don't think he was bumper sticker in this thing. I don't think he was saying, consider the lilies. Consider the I think he was saying, check out those flowers. They're not worried about how they're clothed. Hey, check out those birds. Right? They don't sow or reap. I think it was just a very practical statement. They're on a mountainside. And I think it's also fair, if I can make one more leap, I think that it's fair that he's talking about all worries, not just particular ones, not just food and clothing. And I think we can see that in verse 34. It says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus doesn't say the outcomes don't matter. He's acknowledging, he's acknowledging today's trouble is enough. It's enough before you start worrying about a future outcome. No matter what that outcome might be, no matter what that, uh, that turnout might be, today's enough. So, point one, we can be secure because he's got this. Point two, we can be secure because he gets this. He gets it. Point three, and I want to hover on this one for a little while if we can. Point three is we can be secure because he gives this. Jesus gives us this security. And I think that's the, the moral of this whole thing. You know, Adam isn't teaching this sermon series on these fears for us to then, you know, fix ourselves. There are plenty of books on that. There's plenty of bad teaching on that. It's the Holy Spirit who will fix us. Right? It's the Holy Spirit who works in us. It's the Holy Spirit who does what he does in us to help us see these fears and then to help us know how to surrender them to him. So how many people, and I probably will ask for a show of hands because I'm curious, how many people have heard a do not worry teaching that's like this, maybe it even used this text, and then that was kind of the end of the sermon? Like, just don't worry because Jesus says don't worry. All right, a few hands. Just don't do it. Jesus said just don't do it, so don't. And now the worship team comes up, right? And if it ends there, I don't think that's a very helpful teaching. <laughs> no offense. I don't think Adam's preached that, or Pastor Scott for that matter. Uh, just don't do it because Jesus says don't do it. Don't worry. The end. And it's not helpful if you're struggling with 
depression. You're struggling with anxiety. You're struggling with medical conditions around anxiety. That's not fair. That's not helpful. And I would encourage you guys, if, if there's someone who struggles with depression in the church, sometimes that's spiritual, sometimes that's medical, sometimes that's both, but there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. And there's a lot going on with anxiety. So I don't think that kind of message is helpful. Just don't do it because Jesus said don't. I don't think it's helpful if you're struggling with something right now. There's a situation you're involved in that's causing you great anxiety. Or you have a condition where you struggle with anxiety. That kind of teaching isn't helpful. It doesn't help those of us who have very real fears of what's going on in our workplace, in our schools, in our families. It's not helpful. Now, let me say this real quick. If you are seeing doctors uh, and, and medical people uh, for me- uh, mental conditions around anxiety or depression, don't stop. Don't stop doing that. But I do want to give hope that Jesus says he will meet us where we are, and I would encourage you to invite him into those places. Invite him into the places that you think are only medical because he can do great work in just the medical space too. We know that. Amen? So, back to the just don't worry. That isn't, praise the Lord, that is not the full picture of what Jesus is saying. The full picture of what Jesus is saying requires us to give a whole lot more weight to verse 33. A whole lot more weight than we might normally. Do we have that one on the screen? Verse 33. I'll read it. It says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. We've got to put a lot of weight on that because that is how we combat that anxiety and worry. That's what's going to build our faith. That's what's going to keep us from struggling with anxiety. And I think Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says it all. We got that one? Yeah. This is like a one-stop shop. This verse covers it all. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So notice here, we're being told exactly what to do. This is not a sermon where we say, just don't worry. This is a sermon where the Lord makes it super clear what we're supposed to do. Instead of worrying, what do we do? Instead, pray. Let's try it again. Instead, pray. So much better. Oh, I even heard my nine-year-old yell out there. Good job, dude. Yeah, so instead of worrying, pray. And not only are we being told exactly what to do, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything, We're being told exactly how to do it. Two things. Tell God what you need, number one. And number two, thank Him for all He's done. That's it. That's it. That's the sermon. I don't know how long or short the sermon is. My son told me that my phone can't do a never sleep. So I don't know if we're long or short right now, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that this is the sermon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Now let's hover on the how just for a minute. I tell this to everyone. I think I share it with everyone. I have got a laundry list of amazing testimonies of God's faithfulness. I'm sure you do too. It didn't look like it was going to happen. It looked hopeless, but then God stepped in. It was hopeless. It was a disaster. It was a mess. All I could do was, was worry, but, the, but then the Lord, dot, dot, dot. We've all got those testimonies. And I don't know about you, but I have an amazing ability to forget every single one of those the next moment a new crisis shows up. I mean, I mean all of them. So much that sometimes it's my friends who say, hey, didn't you just say like a month ago how amazing this thing was, that the Lord was so faithful? And I have to be reminded of my own stories. We've, we've got to be thankful for, we've got to remember so that we can be thankful for all that he's done. And then back to the first one there, tell them what you need. I was talking about this at the, at the beginning. This, I don't think this is anything but a brain dump. When we're saying tell God what you need, he'll decide, you know, when he meets our needs, he'll, he'll tell us what he says we need. But we don't have to try and discern what we think he needs, what, you know, what we actually need. We can just straight up vent. Lord, this is bothering me. I'm worried about this thing. This is consuming my thoughts. There are lots of translations we could dig into, but that, that's actually what that first thing means. This is not some pious, well, Lord, you know, we need, we need money to pay for the groceries, and, and, uh, and Lord, you know there are... It's straight up, Lord, I'm worried about the groceries. I'm worried about my car. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about that I see this tendency in my kid. This has got me nervous, Lord. This can happen. And so... These worries are what we bring to the Lord. No gloss. If you take anything from the sermon, hopefully it's not gloss. Hopefully it's what you see is what you get. That's what Jesus was teaching. That's what the scripture means. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Amen? All right, so I reserved a little bit more time for the altar call because I feel like there are a bunch of groups that need to do business with God. I don't know how Many people come up here, but I want to invite you. Consider coming up. I want to invite a bunch of groups forward. The first group would be the group of folks that they're not sure if they can say that they're secure. Like, I'm not sure if I can say I'm secure in Christ because I'm not really sure where I stand with them. You haven't taken that first step to jump in the pool. You feel like it's tugging on you. You feel like the Lord's tugging and saying, come on, jump in, jump in. But you haven't taken that step. You haven't taken that step to, to receive his gift of salvation. I'd like to ask you to come forward and pray that prayer. Uh, there'll be some people on the prayer team that'll come up. And the prayer team is just people that are trained to pray. That's it. You can confidentially share with them, and they're just going to help pray with you. And I want to encourage you. I just felt like the Holy Spirit was putting this on my heart just, just last night. The prayer, the prayer of salvation can be this simple. God, I've got a lot of questions. And I'm not sure exactly how to do this, but as much as I can, I say that I believe in you. I want to put my trust in you. I know that I need you. 
That is an authentic prayer of salvation. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't said that prayer, or maybe it's been a long time since you've said that prayer, uh, and you've kind of slipped away, come up and do some business with God. I feel like also, I might go off the script just a little bit here, and I think this is a bigger group, but I just, I want to encourage you, if you struggle with anxiety, if you have a situation in your life that is really bothering you, I would like to ask you to come up for prayer. Yeah, sorry, worship team, come on up. I'm sure that was in my notes somewhere. But listen, I I really feel like that the Lord wants to do something this morning. If you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with a situation that's got you kind of in knots, I feel like the Lord wants you to trade that, to follow the Philippians verse, to trade that worry, that anxiety, to tell him what you need, thank him for what he's done, and trade that for the peace that he gives. Come and make that trade. And then last, I feel like, you know, we serve a God who heals, right? And he delivers. And since that's who we serve, if you have any need, whether it's health, whether it's emotional, uh, it doesn't matter what it is, I'd encourage you to come up and get prayer. The most important part of the church service is this part. This is where we're going to respond to what God might be doing in our hearts. That's what I prayed for in the beginning. I was asking, Lord, would you like speak to people right here? And if that happened and you have something to, to, to deliver to them, to give to them, to trade with them, I'd ask you to come on up. We're just going to sing this last worship song and then uh, I think Andrew will come up and close the service. Amen? All right, thanks. Thanks.